which I always like to say as well, good 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 people find each other. Water water finds its own level, right? So you always make time for good people. It always comes back to you tenfold. And I'm a big believer in the law of reciprocation. There is a beauty in that, right? I'm a big believer that the the meaning to life is the people we meet and what we create with them. I do give a lot of time and energy. That's a reason, a season, or a lifetime. So that's how you should go into every opportunity in every relationship. How do I elevate everyone else around me? And I'm a big believer in, in life. And like the yep. more I can elevate everyone else around me, you know, all ships rise in a rising tide. Welcome to the Get Invested podcast, where we share great conversations with experts from all walks of life to uncover their secret know-how and where they invest their time, their skills, and their money and the benefits that this has created. You see, the truth is that everyone invests every minute Every day, we're investing our time, our skills, our energy, and our money in something. Some of us are investing consciously, some unconsciously, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad, and sometimes for no impact. Get Invested will help you to start living by design, not by default. I'm going to help you to make it happen, not let it happen. You will hear the top tips on how you can live with conscious intent so that you can live more, work less, and leave a living legacy by investing now. Listen to the show to discover the top tips on how to get started, make the most of your investment journey, and ultimately to be living your dream, not someone else's. More episodes can be found on iTunes or at bushymartin.com.au forward slash get invested. Thanks for listening, and now let's get invested. Hi, Freedom Fighters. What's the one thing that you can do that will allow you, your family, and your friends to enjoy better health, less stress, greater empathy, less depression, a longer lifespan, and a much greater sense of satisfaction, meaning, and fulfillment? No, it's not exercise or meditation or getting good sleep, although all of these are good for you in their own right. What I'm talking about is something much more impactful. Can you guess what it is? Because the answer is going to surprise you. I'm talking about generosity. The simple act of being kind, selfless, and giving to others anonymously without ever expecting anything in return. According to Amy Campbell's book, Love Let Go, Radical Generosity for the Real World, study after study shows that generous people are healthier, have greater empathy, suffer lower rates of depression, and even live longer than those that don't practice generosity. According to Campbell, the happiness chemicals of oxytocin and dopamine are released when we give. She quotes an expert who demonstrates that on a happiness and satisfaction scale of 1 to 10, where 10 is an extremely high measure, generosity comes in at eight. And here's the interesting thing. It doesn't matter how much or how little you have. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, whether you live in a developed or developing country. The studies show that giving freely to others improves our short-term happiness and our long-term well-being. So the benefits of living a generous life are demonstrable and verifiable. And the funny thing is, They're right within our grasp. But as we all know, just because research says that something's good for us doesn't mean that we immediately go and do it. Most of us come from hard-working backgrounds where money's hard to come by and time is precious in our ever-busy lives. So the idea of giving any of it away often just doesn't occur to us. Now Kathleen Rose, a behavioural scientist at the University of Minnesota, led a research team that conducted a study on the psychology of money where they conducted nine different experiments that showed that the presence of money makes us act more self-sufficiently and as a result, less generously. And what's more interesting is that the mere presence of money doesn't even have to be conscious for its impact on our behaviour. In one of their experiments, participants were asked to complete a questionnaire while sitting at a desk with a computer screensaver. At the six minute mark, the computer screen stayed blank for some participants. For others, an image of fish swimming underwater appeared. And for others again, 
an image of money floating underwater appeared. Then, after completing the questionnaire, the participants were asked to set up two chairs, one for themselves and one for a stranger, in order to have a get-to-know-you conversation. Now, what's really interesting is that without any discussion of money or mention of it in the questionnaire, the people who'd been exposed to the screensaver with the money placed their chairs further apart than those who hadn't been exposed to the subliminal suggestion of money. And eight other experiments showed exactly the same result. The bottom line? Money makes us act and feel more independent. And it's this independence and self-sufficiency that stifles our generous natures. It helps explain why we aren't more generous even when we know we could be reaping the physical and emotional benefits of giving. So where do we start with examples of the multiple benefits of generosity? Well, in my own case, the best example I know of generosity was my wife's father, George Nagy. He would give the shirt off his back to a complete stranger. If someone on the street asked him for money, he wouldn't give them coin, but he'd go and buy them a meal. And the reason he was so generous is that he escaped the border from war-torn Hungary during the Russian Revolution in 1956, with nothing but the clothes on his back and a suitcase. After seeing his father put an axe through the back of a Russian soldier's head, who was about to machine gun the rest of the family. After seeing this and surviving many other horrors, Australia was like a paradise of milk and honey with unlimited opportunity that gave him an endless sense of gratitude and as a result, he lived every minute to the max and gave generously and selflessly to anyone and everyone he met. I'll never forget him after he went to visit a friend at a nursing home many years ago. And he came home disgusted that in his words, they were eating shit and just sitting aimlessly in their wheelchairs staring into space all day. So, true to form, he started cooking meals for them at home and delivering it to them. And, not satisfied with this, he then bought a bus with a disabled lift and started picking them up and taking them on day trip excursions just to give them some enjoyment and stimulation in life. He did all of this at his own expense without expecting one thing in return. And in fact, he wouldn't accept anything even when they offered. And the funniest thing was that he was actually older than most of them, but had an energy and vitality that was born out of years of selfless giving to others. For George, he was always about paying it forward. And my good mother Valma was no different, God bless her soul. We used to call my folks' place Mother Martin's Motel because there was always someone dropping in for a meal and generally strangers or newcomers or families doing it tough who'd been referred by the local church. And quite often, they'd come for breakfast and were still there at dinner time as mum slaved over a hot stove cooking up all sorts of savoury delights. And they always left with a doggy bag that would feed them for a week. Now mum came from nothing and gave everything. This was the power of generosity in action. It was always about being grateful for what we had and constantly paying it forward. Giving wasn't an occasional act, it was a way of living for our parents. The underlying question was never, what can I afford to give away? The key question was always, what do I really need to keep? And this is the basis of what Amy Campbell refers to as radical generosity. When we shift our thinking to this question, we start to taste a freedom around money that belies the scarcity narrative that we hear day in, day out in our Western culture. Instead, this simple questioning shifts help up... (laughs) I'll get it right eventually. Instead, this simple questioning shift helps us to sense abundance. Now, writer Lamotte says that whenever she feels like she doesn't have enough, she gives some away. Giving money away doesn't make us feel rich, but it makes our lives richer and the lives of others richer too. By giving, we all become enriched. This ripple effect of generosity goes way beyond the simple reciprocity where you holding the door open for me means that you'll hold the door open for others. It extends much further than this. According to research, giving one random act of kindness ripples out to three degrees of separation, 
where you being kind back to someone today causes that person to do something generous which in turn inspires a third and then fourth act of kindness. It's a phenomenon that scientists call social contagion and it's a movement that we can all set in motion. And whether we realise it or not, most of us are in the top 1% of the world population who earn more than 45000 Aussie dollars a year. Now, Campbell suggests that we embrace what she calls radical generosity by joining her plus one percenters club, where you simply add 1% of your income to the amount that you gave to charity or similar causes last year. It doesn't have to be dramatic, but it does need to be intentional. These small changes will make big differences. Campbell suggests that all you need to do is drop one meal a month feeding out or borrow your books from the library instead of buying them to free up over a thousand bucks a year, which is enough to buy 10 goats and 20 chickens for a family in need in countries less fortunate than ourselves, where people have no voice and have no choice. This is the central idea behind our business know-how Save a Dollar to Save a Life initiative. For every dollar a year that we save you in refinancing your home and property loans, we donate a day's worth of life-saving clean water to families in Tigray, Ethiopia through B1G1 or Buy One, Give One. By helping each other, we're also helping others less fortunate than ourselves. And together, we're making the world a better place. All through simple acts of generosity, of giving anonymously without ever expecting anything in return. However, unfortunately, most of us get caught up in our own lives and the daily business that we create for ourselves, forgetting that the simplest of things can make the most significant impact on someone else. A smile, a compliment, paying for a meal. Just think how different this world would be if everyone took a few minutes out of their week to do something for someone else. Have you ever done something nice for someone else just because? It wasn't to repay them or because you had to. It was simply because. When was the last time you gave selflessly and anonymously in this way? To help a stranger, a work colleague, a family member or a friend without them knowing it. So today I'm going to challenge you to start making someone's day better. Generous random acts of kindness include things like giving compliments, giving gifts, saying kind words, showing gratitude, doing an act of service for someone else, being respectful noticing good things that others do, and giving your time to someone else. So, in the spirit of giving and generosity, I'm going to challenge you to give a random act of kindness every day for the next month. And to get your creative juices flowing, here are some simple but impactful generosity ideas. For complete strangers, buy a warm meal or coffee for someone in need. Give a stranger a compliment or look them in the eye and smile. Let someone go in front of you in a line or a queue. Leave positive post-its of encouragement on people's cars in the shopping centre. Pay for a stranger's meal at a restaurant without them knowing it. Help someone struggling to carry their grocery bags. Take someone else's shopping trolley to the racks outside. Learn to say hello in different languages so you can greet strangers from anywhere. Spend time talking with the old and lonely in a nursing home or reading to them. Write a kind positive message on a serviette and leave it when you're next at a restaurant. Pay it backwards by paying for the coffee of the person behind you in the queue at your favourite coffee shop. Give up your seat on a packed bus or train to someone else. Hide money in random places for strangers to find. When you're driving, slow down to let another driver merge in front of you in traffic. Buy a gift card to hand to someone on your way out of the coffee shop. Pick up a piece of litter on the street. Write a thank you note and leave it in your letterbox for the person delivering the mail. Talk to a stranger at a party who looks like they don't know anyone. Stop to assist someone who looks lost. Smile at five strangers every day. Compliment the first three people you talk to today. Leave a positive note on a library book. Leave credit on a vending machine. Be kind to the birds by hanging a bird feeder in the tree in your yard. Drop off old blankets and towels to an animal shelter. And just smile at someone who looks sad. For friends and loved ones, think about calling your parents or brothers and sisters just to say I love you. Hide love notes on post-it notes all over the house for your partner to find. Do something for your partner that they hate doing. 
reconnect with an old friend that you've lost touch with over the years and share a memory that you carry with you. Send a friend a helpful or inspiring article that made you think of them. Email or write a letter to a former teacher who made a difference in your life. Give your favourite book to a friend. Send a random thank you email to someone you admire and respect. Call someone who lives alone. And forgive someone who's wronged you. And at work, donate a vacation or sick day to a colleague who's struggling with an illness or caring for a sick loved one at home. Bring in a favourite treat to work and anonymously leave it in the kitchen. Post sticky notes with uplifting messages on the bathroom mirrors. Set an alarm on your phone to go off at three different times during the day and in those moments do something kind for someone else. Learn the names of your office security guard, the person at the front desk, your coffee shop barista, the supermarket checkout, the car park attendant, the petrol station cashier and other people that you see every day and then greet them by name with a smile. This is just a taste of what you can do so get your creative juices flowing. Performing random acts of kindness can profoundly affect your attitude, your outlook and even your health according to the Mayo Clinic, which also says practicing kind acts can rewire your brain to help you be more present to others while boosting your mood. And despite being an act that is done to benefit others' well-being, generosity paradoxically increases our own well-being. So being generous is a fantastic way to improve your mental health as well as your well-being. And if you want to get inspiration from someone who's made generosity the underlying driving force in his life, that has created unequaled success for others as well as himself, then you can't go past today's very special guest, Andrew Morello, the winner of the first Australian Apprentice. He's a living, breathing example of the benefits that generosity has for others as well as yourself. Now, the mighty Morello is one of those rare people that you meet whose massive heart, genuine care and moving motivation inspires all of those around him to take their lives to the next level and to be living the dream. As my wife Sonia found out when we spent time with him at the Entourage a few years back. Today, Morello's an awarded entrepreneur, an investor, an author and head of business development at the Entourage, which is Australia's largest training institution for entrepreneurs and business owners. Prior to this, he spent 10 years alongside Mark Burris, building out the Yellow Brick Road Wealth Management Branch Network nationally. Morello has also personally built an impressive property portfolio, and his endless generosity has also led him to drive numerous community projects across Australia and internationally, including being a founding board member of Project Gen Gen Z, which is a social enterprise which runs entrepreneur and development programs for disadvantaged children. In recent years, Morello has summited Mount Kinabalu in Borneo and completed the Kokoda Trail to raise money for the Seed Foundation, which supports Indigenous health programs in remote communities. Morello is also an active member of Australia's entrepreneurial and real estate communities, an engaging and charismatic speaker, and passionate about sharing his successes and creating success for other entrepreneurs, business owners and investors to help you and others reach your full potential and not waste your precious life. In the first part of a two-part special of our great conversation with the mighty Morello today, we touch on the why of his generosity, we walk through his generous life achievements to date, we do a deep dive on his life-changing experience as the winner of the first Australian Apprentice and how generosity helped him win despite the odds. And we talk about the pros and cons of celebrity, and how he's leveraged his celebrity to achieve great things in the world for himself and others. And if you want to experience the warmth of his generosity personally, while taking your business to the next level, reach out to him at The Entourage via theentourage.com, where you'll join an elite coaching and training community for business owners everywhere. And following the Mido Morello's generosity inspiration, again, I want to reinforce the challenge to you to make random acts of kindness and generosity for your family and work as your mission in the next month ahead. You'll be teaching your kids and colleagues to pay it forward and show kindness to others every day in a variety of ways. And while you're doing this, consider rewarding your family or your work colleagues for their acts of kindness. 
give rewards or shout-outs for the most unique acts of kindness that they demonstrate. That way, you're encouraging them to get creative and love others simultaneously, one generous act at a time. Because, as the actor Morgan Freeman is famous for saying, how do we change the world? One generous random act of kindness at a time. And, to complement this, Maya Angelou said, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And Princess Diana's immortal words are also appropriate here when she said that if you carry out a generous random act of kindness with no expectation of reward, you'll be safe in the knowledge that one day someone might do the same for you. So start right now with your Generosity 30-Day Challenge. Just choose and carry out a random act of kindness every day. Because by the time you finish, you'll have developed the habit of generosity and you'll be well on your way to making the world a kinder place. In this way, you release your own unique brand of radical generosity into the world so that generosity becomes your way of living and not just an occasional isolated act of giving. And to really get inspired to enjoy the fulfilment that only generosity can bring, enjoy part one of our great conversation with the mighty Andrew Morello. Hi, Freedom Fighters. Now, as my good father, the original Bushy Senior, used to say, stop working for money and get your money working for you. Now, as a flow on from this, it's a well-known fact that in our current day and age, truly successful people make their money as entrepreneurs and then make their money work a lot harder by investing in property. And someone who's bridged both of these at an early age is the energetic and ever-ready Andrew Morello. Now, I had the absolute pleasure of spending some time with the mighty Morello at the Entourage a few years ago, which is Australia's largest community of over half a million business owners and entrepreneurs where his massive heart, his genuine care, and his moving motivation has inspired my good wife, Sonia, and I to take our know-how business to the next level and to be truly living the dream. And thanks to his mentorship, we are now truly living the effing dream. So I'm really excited to have the great man on the show. So welcome, and let's get invested, the mighty Morello. My pleasure, Bushy. Great to be here with you. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of you and Sonia, so thank you so much. And, and they were very beautiful words to kick us off. Thank you very much. Uh, my pleasure, mate. You're a, a great man and a very generous bloke, mate, and uh, very generous with your time too, mate. So I, I feel very privileged to have you on the show. Well, and mate, uh, Bushy, I always like to say as well, good, for, good, good people find each other. Water, for, water finds its own level, right? So you always make time for good people. It always comes back to you tenfold. Love it, mate. Yeah, absolutely love it. You're, you're absolutely spot on there, mate. Now, mate, uh, you'd have to be deaf, dumb and blind not to know who you are. But for those that have been living under a rock for the last 20 years, uh, uh, can you just start off by telling us who you are, what you do, and most importantly, mate, why you do what you do? Yeah, fantastic. Uh, Bushy, so look, I, I was very, very lucky to be the son of two amazing uh, immigrants that came on a boat from Italy in the 1950s, my mother and father, my mother sadly passed away last year, but they've been great role models for me and, and around my work ethic and so forth. So I, I started my career at 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, pumping petrol on the corner of Pascoval Road and Buckley Street in a little place called Mooney Ponds. Um, and we were talking about a pre-recording that, you know, tomorrow is the, uh, not to put a timestamp on this, but tomorrow is the Melbourne Cup and Mooney Ponds is the centre of, of, of racing in Victoria with the Mooney Valley race course, literally 500 metres to my left and, and the Flemington race course, 900 metres to my right. Um, so uh, Mooney Ponds is famous for three things. Number one thing it was famous for was Dame Edna Everidge. Number two thing it was famous for is the uh, the Cox Plate. And the, uh, the third thing it's famous for was Underbelly Series 1. So I had a very colourful uh, childhood, but at the same time, the things I learned um, here in Mooney Ponds, you know, starting out in my dad's service station, certainly set the right framework for, you know, everything I've done in business. And as we're going to talk about further today, you know, property's been a massive um, propellant of my, uh, you know, my, my wealth and business journey. Um, and obviously, I, you know, for those who don't know, also had the, the, the great honour of winning the first Australian Apprentice and, and being business partners with Mark Boris for, for 10 years, still, still business partners with him, still a shareholder at Yellow Brick Road um, and do some work on the advisory boards there. Uh, but very, very lucky as well. 
to have partnered with the other great entrepreneur that you also know very well, Mr. Jack DeLosa, um, BAW Young Rich Lister, and 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 bought into uh, the entourage business as well about 12 years ago too. So I've been very, very lucky to sort of surround myself with, you know, world-class operators and uh, gone into business with some amazing people. That's that's freed me up to do, uh, as you said, why do I do it? Is that Andrew Morello wants to make lots and lots of money to pay people really, really well to do the things he doesn't want to do so he can do more things he loves doing with the people that he loves. And that uh, ties back into where my heart really is, which is in my philanthropy of the work with uh, Geraldine Cox, Order of Australian Medal winner over in um, Cambodia with, with children that are rescued from child prostitution and begging circles and uh, did the Kokoda Trail a few years ago. I sit on the board for Seed Foundation Australia, which works with the Indigenous communities and, and teaching health uh, education to Australia's uh, and Torres Strait Islander Indigenous communities as well, which we should pay respect and homage to um, and uh, to in their ancestors past and present. Yeah, beautifully said, mate. And uh, mate, uh, just listening to you, I break out in a sweat with the, just exactly how much you can achieve. You, you mustn't sleep, mate, uh, given uh, everything you've done uh, in your life so far and you, and you continue to do. It's but, funny because I, I ironically, you're right, Bush, and, and when we were spending our Saturdays and Friday, Saturday, Sundays together back in Sydney a few years ago, I, I probably really was only doing about three, four hours sleep a night. I, and I, I, I did say to my, I, I hadn't been to my doctor for about literally 10 years. And I, uh, I went and saw him, obviously, you know, for all this COVID stuff that, that had been happening. One, I had to get my vaccines and I just sort of thought I better get a check. And he's like, I haven't seen you for 10 years. I said, well, I never get sick. And he's like, that's good. But I said, oh, a couple of things I did bring up. I, I said, oh, I, I think, you know, it's not COVID. I've had a COVID test. I've been coughing a bit and my nose is all blocked. And he goes, it's hay fever. And I said, mate, I don't get hay fever. He goes, you're getting old, Morello. You're getting old. He goes, as you get older... Make things start to happen. I said, I've never had hay fever my whole life. And this spring season, I've started getting hay fever. And and I do appreciate a good sleep now, Bushy. So I don't have to sleep as much as other people. But I do. Uh, I am still an early riser up at m- most most mornings at sort of 5, 6 a.m. But um, uh, well, back pre-COVID, I was on a flight every second day at 5 a.m. 5.30 boarding, 6 o'clock takeoff from somewhere in Australia or overseas, but I was doing over 100 flights a year. So um, it's been good. Look, you know, COVID's not been a positive thing, but it did force me to spend some time with my family, spend some time with my, my beautiful newborn son and spend some time with my mum before she passed away as well. So maybe um, if we can find the silver lining in anything, and I, as you know, I always try and do, but much like you and Sonia, I, uh, the silver lining was that, you know, that's that it, it, it's forced us to stand still a, a second and just appreciate what we've got and who we've got and, and really pay homage to those important things. Yeah, beautifully said, mate. Um, mate, I, I want to circle back uh, now and sort of get you to talk us through a little bit of the details around your hi- history, particularly focusing in on the property piece, both yes. professionally and, and your personal investment journey, because I know you got involved in the property arena very young. Yes. Uh, and I, just to kick that off, uh, was that because uh, your your old man was uh, active in, in property at the time and you just grew up with it? Or what, what well, was the trigger that led you down it, that road? And that's a great question because, you know, now that I'm a, I'm a parent, and it's interesting, Channel 9 tonight, um, they've got a, a call, a, a new show that's a two-part special tonight and tomorrow night. Um, so if anyone, once they hear this in the next few weeks and that, they, they might be able to go back on the 9MSN website and, and, and look it up. But it's... I'm going to be watching it with intrigue because now that I am actually a father, um, I'm, I'm, I've started reflecting upon what was some, and if anyone is a parent that's listening to this, what were some of the attributes that 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 I've got and how did I get there? And and I, I do need to, um, my father's never given me any money. He's always provided a, my father, father and mother never, like they didn't do parental guarantees for us, but I'm not saying they're, they're bad things. We can double back on that, to, you know, if people are in a position where they may need to do it, because I think it's a really good thing that is available to the next generation of property investors. But like, I, I didn't have the the, the luxury of, of my dad going to his, you know, a deposit for a house or anything like that. But he, they did foster a, a really good environment. One of unconditional love, Number two of, of safety and security, like my dad fostered me in, in taking risk because he was like, if you take risks and it fails, don't worry, there's always 
you know, a bed in Mooney Ponds and a bowl of pasta on the table for you, right? So, and as much as you can make a joke about that and have a bit of a giggle, that was his way of, of you know, my dad's a Sicilian father, so you're not going to get too many I love yous or I'm proud of yous, but he fostered an environment where he was very proud in his, in his way. You know, he wouldn't tell you to your face, but he would certainly, uh, you know, tell everyone else. And, you know, I used to see him pulling out weeds at, my properties and, you know, take, taking the whippersnipper down there. And I go, Dan, I've got a gardener to do that. He said, yeah, but I just thought I, I, I sort of was getting a bit long. I thought you just go clean it up for you. So he's, he's always been very proud. But if you're a parent and you're listening to this, um, it is really, really important that, you know, and I'll, let's, let's the concept for me is called osmosis, right? So yeah. obviously being surrounded by um, my father, who wasn't necessarily in the business of property, he was in the business of, of petrol stations and, and gas stations for if anyone's listening from overseas, I know they call it gas stations over there. Um, so, yeah. um, you know, he then, you know, he worked hard, not smart. And then it, what he would do is just work seven days a week. And then obviously he bought the service stations that he was running. He also bought property. Um, and, and, you know, now in his later years has, has realized a lot of that, that, you know, cash pot potential off the back of, of those investments. So growing up, it's, it's a funny little story when, you know, my mates in primary school would tell me about their, their, how they, they, how they pay rent. And as a, like a six, seven, eight, nine-year-old, I couldn't actually comprehend the concept of rent. Like I was like, what, what, what do you mean? You're, you, you pay someone else to live in their house. And like, cause I would only ever known us knowing owning all the houses, you know, like my going with my dad to go and, you know, paint it, paint a door, but getting it ready for, uh, for the next tenant or, you know, um, you know, whatever it might be, you know, going down and, and clean. I remember one of the places got pretty trashed by a tenant and we went there and there was a big rat in there. And I freaked out as a kid and my dad's like, don't worry, like a dead rat. And he's like, <laughs> so I, I, I grew up thinking this is normal that you spend your Saturdays and Sundays helping your dad clean the house to, to get it ready for you know for, for rent for other people and my dad had some factories and stuff like that so like I was very lucky that he was a great role model in that sense so still to this state still hasn't given us any any of the money his theory he thinks he's a miniature Yoda but only with hair and he <laughs> he thinks he's teaching us this well-earned lesson which he has you know obviously as a kid when you've got mates getting bought cars for their 18th birthdays and had their parents helping them buy their first properties and and paying for their weddings and stuff like that. I was a little bit at times, a little bit, um, what's the word? Uh, little, probably a little bit upset or jealous to some respects. And I'd go to my dad and say, that's what other parents do. And he's like, trust me, if I did that for you, you wouldn't, you won't get to where you're going to get to. And he was right. You know, it forced, Spot on. It forced him to, for, to make difficult decisions early. Um, yep. And he set a really, really good, um, you know, benchmark uh, around, you know, work ethic and, and making investments. And, and the other thing is as well, from a psychological point of view, being comfortable with debt. So, you know, like I, I look at, let's say, let's say for the sake of the, the, the conversation, my, my portfolio, I probably, I'm probably servicing about 6 million in debt a month. Um, uh, but my 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 poor, my equity stake is probably worth a few million just in my property investment. So, yeah. you know, like I, I look at that and go, okay, well, you know, you as, as we said before, like you know, I'm I'm your classic. I call it Italian Australian who's asset rich, cash poor. But at the same time, I'm 35. I'm in full capability of working. I, I have all my insurances in place as well. So like my personal insurances and income protection and all that sort of jazz. So, you know, I, I am in a very good position at 35 to take risk and, and to live a good life. And, and I'm sure it will pay off in the medium to long term, uh, you know, quite, quite positively. Yeah, I have no doubt, mate. I, 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 your man, old man and my old man sound pretty similar in a lot of ways. And it's a bit like the if you've ever read the Rich Dad Poor Dad, it sounds like you you grew up with a rich dad in the context that he understood the value of uh, investing in growth assets that are going to look after you long term. And also, I mean, I'm very similar to you, mate. Uh, I, I was not we didn't didn't have an ethic background. I'm I'm from convict stock, but my old man was a, a country boy and uh, always believed that you work hard and you you stick money into things that grow. And he always used to I used to a bit like you, I'd be jealous of the mates at school who were, you know, getting cars bought for them or overseas holidays or whatnot. And I'll, I'll always go back to that and say, Dad, uh, you know, my mate's getting a car, can you buy me a car? And he said, Son, you can have a car anytime you like, just as soon as you've saved up for it. Correct. So, uh, and and at the time, I thought it was tough. In retrospect, it was the best lesson he'd learned. Uh, I'd learned from him because I, I 
I learned the value of money and what to do with money and, and the respect that comes from having to do it yourself. And it sounds like uh, your old man was very similar in that regard, mate. Yeah, very much so. Very much. So. And then, you know, that's, that's, I can pass anything on to, to other, other parents that are listening. Like I, I think that was a, an amazing lesson that I learned and, and it, it set me in good steed for everything else that I did in my life, not just in my business life, but in, in my personal life and, and my philanthropic life and, and my friendships and my relationships, you know, like I pride myself on the fact I'm, I'm still friends with every past partner and lover that I've ever had. So like, you know, I, I, uh, and it's because I've, they've always been able to see that I've always worn my heart on my sleeve and, um, and then I always endeavor to do my best. I don't certainly stand here to pretend like I'm a perfect man. I'm definitely not. I'm flawed like every human being, but I, um, you know, I, I do my best and I give everyone as much of me as I possibly can. And I make mistakes, but at the same time, I, I think I, I do more good than not. So, you know, as long as the scales keep outweighing themselves and it, it should set me in good stead. Yeah, absolutely love it, mate. Well, let, let, let's kick off with your own, own uh, property journey, both professionally and personally in terms yep. of the portfolio you built because i i know that your initial passion was to become an auctioneer if uh, if i'm not incorrect yep and and actually ironically bushy i don't know if i told you but i, I actually had just had leo my business manager get me all reset up um to do auctions again in, in sydney and um in new south wales and victoria so i am officially a fully accredited um fully fully fledged auctioneer again so Keep an eye out, guys. You, you might see me doing some sort of celebrity auctions and, and and so forth, which I'm I'm looking forward to doing. You know, I, I have been out of it for a little bit, but I have called over a thousand auctions in my life. Um, so you know, generally I can do it like on the back of my hand, and it is something I'm very passionate about. Something I enjoy. Um, I you know I'm a big I'm a big believer in the auction process. I know not all property is bought or sold at in, in, in with auctions, but my, um, you know, I, I do say to people, like I've got a, a scenario where I'm, I'm advising to a family right now and they've got a few issues amongst the family. And I just said to them, well, we'll just auction the property off. Like, you know, like if you can't all come to a, an amicable decision, don't lose your, your, your family relationship over it. Just auction the thing off and, and everyone takes their share and go your separate ways. So, it is a, a, a very clear and fair way to buy a property, but not all property is bought and sold that way. That's the only challenge. Yeah, agreed. Where did that initial passion to become an auctioneer happen? Because I, again, correct me if I'm wrong here, but my understanding in Victoria at the time that you would have been growing up, it wasn't really a dedicated uh, profession. It was something that you know directors and some of the sales team might do within a real estate yeah. office. Well, that's that, that's good. No one's really asked me before, but uh, interestingly enough, and, and the the next few names that I say, if, if people do know the Melbourne property market, some might consider as controversial. But whether you love them or hate them, um, they were great auctioneers. But I um, I grew up watching. My brother was an auctioneer, but he also owned his own business at that point. So while I was still in high school, I was you know letterbox dropping and 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 helping out at not doing anything that I needed a, a, a real estate license for, but I was helping out my brother at 15, 16, 17, just doing like at an auction, handing out pamphlets and letterbox dropping during the week for him and stuff like that. And, and I said to my brother, I I'd finished year 12 and my dad said to me, what are you going to do? And my dad was very good like that. So my brother and sister both studied, my sister studied abroad university. My brother had an accounting degree, which he never used because he uh, he got into real estate at 17, 18, like I did as well and, and did extremely well. And my brother goes, you know, why don't you, you know, you seem to have a knack for talking to people about property at already at 15, 16 years old. He goes, why don't you do real estate? And I said, well, I don't really like real estate, but I like, I want to call auctions. And my brother said, well, if you want to be an auctioneer, you better go list some real estate. And so it was, I, I, I went away from the family business, business. Once again, good lesson to teach your kids here. So to avoid any nepotism. And I, I started my career with a great man who's very respected um, in Williamstown in Victoria called Adrian Butera from Compton and Green Real Estate, which he still owns it. Um, and he's a very good man. He's very well respected. He's won the Australasian auctioneering championships before. And he, he's an auctioneer mentor to a lot of, um, to a lot of auctioneers nationally and internationally. So he was he was my original mentor. But but before I went to work for him at sort of 18, I ironically actually used to ride my bike and go watch my brother. And there was another 
auctioneer that has been seen as controversial over the years, but he is a great auctioneer named Lurandina, and another auctioneer who has also been seen as controversial over the years, uh, a guy named James Hosterman on the other side of town. Um, and, you know, they've, they've had a colourful past in their auction careers, but you would definitely, you could argue they, you know, like the beautiful thing that, that made me fall in love with the romance of an auction is these two gentlemen, um, much to the dismay with the colourful side of their careers, but minus that, when they're called an auction, whether they're calling it for a one-bedroom flat next to the commission housing in uh, Kensington or, or the back streets of, of Richmond or whatever, um, yep. or whether they're calling a $5 million mansion, they called the same sort of auction. And I went, shit, I love that. I, that that is, that's something I want to do. It was fun. It was street theatre. Um, one day you're calling it in the rain. One day you're calling it in the sun. Uh, you're having fun with, with people on the street. Um, and uh, yeah, so that that's why I got into into the professionalism of of, uh, of property, and uh, and as well, I, I always wanted to start. I invested in, in, in probably a segue into my first um, property when I was eighteen, so in Mooney Pond. So yeah, so I got in. I, I started working for uh, uh, Adrian Butera, Compton and Green Williamstown. And I literally started like anyone from scratch. I, I, you know, I started as a PA. I was supposed to do three years as a PA. Six months in, I listed a seven million dollar house on the Strand. I was sorry, a five point seven million dollar house on the Strand in Williamstown, and I was getting paid like thirty five a year, five hundred dollar bonus for lease, five hundred dollar bonus for sale. And I think the commission on that property I listed was like. 40 grand and I, I walked into the office and, and Adrian Butera sort of looked at me and said I know what you're about to say don't worry you, I'll give you a bit extra on that one plus you don't have to um, be a PA anymore so six months in he said I could go out on my own went out on my own eight months nine months in I hired my first PA and so my first assistant um, and then by sort of 2021 I had I worked in an EBU which is called a there's any you know people that are in the property industry listening a, an effective business unit where I was basically working in a team I was the presenter and 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 leader and lister you'd call it and then I had a vendor manager and I had a buyer's buyer's agent and I had a prospector and then um, between us all we started being a multi-million dollar little hub and uh, won, a, won a whole bunch of awards, won the Victorian, uh, won the uh, Northwest Victorian Auctioneers Competition at 18, came second in Victoria in the, in the finals at 19, um, came second in the seniors, which is quite rare because you're up against sort of all the big wigs um, yeah. at like 2021, 20, went, went to the Australasians in Perth, 22. Um, and so that just sort of took my career from, from strength to strength. And then at, at 23, um, you know, a friend of mine I was doing business with and should probably mention his name because he's still, now he works with us at Jealous Craig Real Estate in Melbourne, a guy named Spiro Vassiliadis. And he had said, uh, I've nominated you to go on this thing called The Apprentice. So I said, mate, I don't, I don't have time for this rubbish. And he said, just go, go to the audition, you know, go try it out. 10,000 people try it out. I was 23 at the time. 10,000 people, and I was writing a million dollars a year in real estate, so I was pretty happy and content with where I was. And he goes, you know, like the Donald Trump one, like the Donald Trump one, but there's an Australian version with Mark Burris, and I was a big Mark Burris fan. I saw what he had done with Wizard Home Loans uh, a few years before that, and uh, I, I respected him as an entrepreneur, and I'd, I'd read his book, and um, and... 10,000 people tried out. I made it to the top 100 in Victoria, then the top 100 in Australia, and then the top 12 in Australia. I got onto the show. And then my brother, interestingly enough, had, had gone and hired a PR firm because I got to my brother. He was scared I was going to leave him in the lurch because at that point I had moved from Compton to Green and joined the family business as a partner there. And uh, my brother goes, oh, what, what happens if you win? And I said, oh, I'm not going to win, mate. There's people with MBAs and people with a, you know, a uh, master's in law, and there was a, you know, a lady. Uh, a, there was a girl who'd won um, uh, Miss World Australia 2006. Sabrina Usami, she was on there as well. And I'm like, they're going to pick some beautiful or smarter person than me. I can assure you of that. And uh, I would ring my. They took my phone and my my wallet and everything off me when I got in there. Um, and and they, I get to ring the family every two weeks, and we filmed for ten weeks. And rang him two weeks in. I said, "Oh, I'm in the top ten. Then I thought I'd come top four, top three, top two, top six. And my brother had a whole campaign 
for when I got back to real estate called um, uh, Andrew Morello, famous for selling. And he, he spent a fortune on billboards and then promoting it. And, you know, because I didn't know I had actually won. So what actually happens in, in, in reality TV shows, not to ruin it for everyone, but they film for 10 weeks. And then at the end of the at the end of the 10 weeks, they film two people winning. Right, they do this on most shows, so that way you don't actually know that you've won. So that way, when it's on air and on TV, you still don't know. You think you're either going to come first or second. You got to sign a NDA, NDA, obviously. Um, yeah. but, but I, I, I thought I'd come second. Like the girl who came second, Heather Williams, very smart operator. I, I used to say to her as a joke, I'd either hire her or marry her, but she was already married and and she was already had an amazing job <laughs> with uh, Census Yellow Pages. But I said to her. You know, she was a very impressive woman. And I said, um, I said to my brother, like when I got back to, to Melbourne and started listing real estate. So you can imagine I'm on TV at this point, Bushy. You know, every week on, on national take TV, I'm going to, I went to the Brownlow, I went to the Logies, I went to all these things. And I'm listing real estate at the same time. And I listed like 43 auctions. I listed about a million dollars worth of commissions in in in, a, in 10 weeks. And um uh you know, I still thought I was going to come second, and then and then Mark Burris rings me. It was the, the final show was on the Monday night at seven thirty, and Mark Burris rings me on the Sunday night at eight o'clock. He was supposed to ring me at six pm. He was up at his property in Byron Bay, and then the, the executive producer um, Karen said, "Oh, he's going to call you at six pm." I said, "All right, great." And so I'm sitting by my phone at six pm on a Sunday. I was home alone; nobody was here in Mooney Ponds, and and he didn't ring. And um, it got to eight o'clock and it finally rang from a private number. And he's like, he's like, Morello. And I'm like, uh, yeah, Mr. Burris. He goes, don't call me Mr. Burris anymore. Call me Mark. Sort your shit out. You're coming to work in Sydney. And I'm like, oh, well, fantastic. I said, i got one small problem. He goes, what's that? He goes, I go, I just listed 43 auctions. i got to get rid of those first. So he goes, he goes, jump on a plane, come up and do some PR with us for the week. And then uh, you can go back to Melbourne. And I went back to Melbourne for, I don't know, maybe two months. I think I won in like, November um, yep. 2010, and then he, uh, I, I, I basically came to work the day after Australia Day. I got to Sydney, so I, I was in Sydney for Australia Day, and they put me up in the Marriott Hotel. Um, so I was living in a hotel, like a penthouse of a hotel, for a month, and because they couldn't find me a place to live yet. And uh, interestingly enough, um, funny story. Uh, my first experience of Sydney was I got invited to. Um, B, which I, I probably wouldn't do again. So please, to the ladies listening, I, I'm, I'm certainly not pro any of this sort of stuff, but I got invited to a Celebrity Day, Australia Day party level four poolside at the Ivy Pool Bar, which is a, a bar and nightclub in Sydney owned by Justin Hems. And you got to remember, I was a 24-year-old young buck and, you know, always looking for a good time. And so I got invited to go up and... Um, and 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 they had a like a Miss Australia Day competition, you know. And so like the girls would 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 do a little interview around the pool. Then they were wearing like Australian flag, you know, swimwear. And and there's a photo of me that following week in the paper in the in the Sydney Morning Herald. I'm in the paper three times. I'm I'm in the paper in the property section doing an article about property and and about the Melbourne and Sydney market and vice versa. I'm in I'm in the shares section. In looking at the investment markets and I'm, I'm one of the celebrities doing the they gave us a fake ten thousand dollar account and i was winning that and then you got to the to the entertainment section and there's a half page with me uh with two girls dressed in bikini uh, australian flag bikinis one on either side and it says the vegemite boy has arrived in sydney the australian first australian apprentice andrew morello mark burris storms into the office so this came out the following Sunday. That was Tuesday was Australia Day. Sunday, this came all out of the paper. And he, he in front of everyone, it's a funny story, he threw it down and um, and he, he smacked it down on the table and he's like, what's this in front of everyone? And he opens it up. There's a half page of me, you know, in shorts and a shirt with my sunglasses on, my hair all done with these two you know, ladies that are into this Miss Australia competition, Miss Australia Day competition. And he goes, I don't want to see this rubbish. And I said, mate, I didn't even, I thought this was like a photo for them. Like I thought it was 
you know, a personal photo. He goes, when they take photos, they sell them to, to the newspapers. They do. And this was my first experience of obviously um, this sort of stuff happening. And I said to him, but, but stop, stop. Look in the property section. I'm in there. Look in the, the, stock, the stock market section. I'm in there. I said, two out of three ain't bad. And he's <laughs> he still got this angry face. And then he walks back to the door and across the room, he yells out at me. He goes, but how'd you go? I said, I got the girl on the left's phone number. <laughs> <laughs> So he was. He told me off, and he goes, "Look, whatever you do, stay out of the entertainment section. Be careful who takes a photo of you." And uh, and so I did learn my lesson that day. But it was my baptism to Sydney, and uh, I've, I've I've had a place in Sydney now for the last twelve years, and I go between my Melbourne and Sydney property, and I've had a lot of fun in, in both cities. I love it, mate. Mate, I'm I uh, love that story. I, I just want to circle back for a minute because uh, and take us through. Because uh, I, I, you know, and you sort of mentioned very briefly, you know, going from ten thousand applicants down to twelve. Yes. Because uh, I want to ask you two questions. One is, why do you think that you managed? What was it about you that enabled you to get to the the twelve that went on the show? And, and I watched every episode. I, I loved it. It was a really entertaining show, and and we, we were uh, batting for you way back then because you you're just a bloody likable bloke and tells it how it is, and there was no BS or or some of the crap that goes with that whole set. Uh, so that's the first part. And then the second part, when when you did sort of uh, come up and managed, despite your own thoughts, you managed to beat Heather Williams. Yes. Uh, what was it you think then that that distinguished you from Heather in relation to taking that crown? Can you talk us through both of those? Yeah. So the, the initial one is, um, so for anyone who's tried uh, to, to do um, any reality TV, I will tell you, like, so Mark Mark Burris doesn't make the decision on who goes on the show, but he he did he did pay the quarter of a million dollars. So you know, and and I think they they had spent close to a million bucks in off record or on record, but close to a million bucks, like you know, um, trying to push Yellow Brick Road through the show too. So he yeah. he he had a lot at stake here. So they were definitely given a directive for two things: one, they wanted entertaining entertainment, but two. It actually needed to be somebody who could could actually work with Mark. Like it, it wasn't it wasn't a you know it wasn't a, a fake job and it wasn't a, a fake prize. Like you really did. Like I sat next to Mark for you know it was supposed to be for twelve months. It ended up being twelve years, but I literally yeah. was right next to Mark Burris for 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 for, for, for those twelve years. But let's say at the time it was supposed to be twelve months. And yeah. so um you know I have I am actually still friends with the producers and I do often you know I, I was in Fiji speaking at a conference and and I bumped into the producers they were doing Love Island so I ended up on the site of Love Island a couple of years ago as you see me in the background at Love Island watching the the end of that with um oh what's her name the beautiful blonde uh, presenter um Yep, so it's my mind, mate. That, yeah, my mind, but yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm in the back there and everyone's texting me going, is that you I can see on, on in Love Island on the live stream from Fiji? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I bumped into the to the executive producers and, that, and they said, look, a couple of things. First of all, um, you know, authenticity. Like, you know, obviously it's kind of odd when you talk about yourself in these ways, but humility, authenticity, like they're looking how you interact with other people, number one. Number two, um, I'm sure they are looking for archetypes and looking for the people that are going to create conflict. But, um, you know, I, I, I treated even when, so like, you know, what they do is that they're behind a mirror. They're watching you behind a mirror. And then they say, basically say, right, number four, nine, 12, 32, 61, you stick around, the rest of you can go. And they're basically giving you um, basically live psychometric testing. Like here's a block of, here's a box of blocks, make the tallest, tower in 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 the room and so like you look at people you know first of all arguing between each other so yeah. problem number one number two two you're looking at people and they're waiting to see who takes leadership who can actually work with strangers do you don't know any of these people and there's me straight away i'm like go grab the table go grab the chair and i built this tower out of everything else that was in the room and then we built this lego on top of the tower and it's like they so they're looking for that creativity and look thinking outside the box and 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 all of that jazz. That's how you get on there. Then once you're on there, um, you know, everyone goes like a lot of people do, and especially when I go speak at like the KPMGs or the Price Waterhouse Coopers or the Macquarie Private Bank sort of speaking gigs, like you get these real um alpha males or even alpha females these days that are like how did you beat everyone you know and i'm like well i tell you i beat everyone i didn't try and beat them like for me it was very much <clears throat> excuse me it was very much around you know how do i 
How do I elevate everyone else around me? And I'm a big believer in, in life and on the show and in business and in relationships, in, in romantic relationships or friendships. The more I can elevate the people around me, and, and I would hope you experience this when, when we're working so closely together with you and Sonia, but the yes. more I can elevate everyone else around me, you know, all ships rise in a rising tide. So, you know, I um, I was project manager, for those who don't know how it works, each week someone is chosen from each team to be the project manager. Project manager four times. Um, three out of the four times I won, so I didn't have to go back to the boardroom. The one time I lost, you know, I had to bring two people in there with me, and I did. And, um, you know, even the people I brought in with me felt bad. Like, they were like, you know, Mark's job is to, uh, Mark Burris, who's, you know, the the compare at the time, and now Alan Sugar, who's doing the celebrity one. Yeah. Like, Mark's job is to try and create conflict. And, like, it got to a point where, like, the two people I brought in were like, but Morello is a good guy. Like, they, they're trying to get them to turn on me to make some good television. They're like, well, we lost, but... He did a really good job and he was a great leader. And, and even <laughs> when I got to the final one, because um, it was a bit more ambiguous, the final one, I wasn't defended because we did a launch for a perfume and, and all this jazz. And, and yep. there was they bring back everyone that's, that you've beaten to come and work for you. So they should really hate you. You've taken the prize. They bring them back to help you win, the, you know, and, and, and they said to everyone on Heather's team, which... I felt terrible for her. They went to everyone on Heather's team. Mark Burris said, who do you think should win? This is her team. So Heather, Heather's team team player number one goes Morello. And now I'm sitting across, across the boardroom and I'm like, shit, this is bad for Heather. And then the second one's like Morello. The third one's like Morello. The fourth one's like Morello. The fifth one goes Heather. And then they go to my team. Who do you think should win? The Morello, 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 Morello. And, and, and Mark goes something like, I don't know, he made some comment like, what did you do, pay him off or something? I'm like, no. I'm like... You know, I just even though they were, I'm, I was supposed to be in competition with them. I, I, I just wanted everyone to, to you know, to rise to the occasion, and and if in some way, shape, or form, I was in a position to 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 make them look better than 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 I did. And and I'm a big believer in the law of reciprocation, right? It's a little bit like like entourage members, EGU. You know, like I I do give a lot of time and energy to our um, entourage members, our elevate and accelerate members, because like you don't know where someone's going to go. I, I'm I'm invested. You know, there's there's a half a dozen to a dozen um, entourage alumni that are either members again or, or that were members in the past that I'm in business with in some way, shape or form now. And it's like the reality is there is a beauty in that, right? There is a romance in that, that those, you know, I'm a big believer that the, the meaning to life is the people we meet and what we create with them. So, so whether I, I meet Bushy for a reason, a season, or a lifetime, let let's make let's make something together, right? Whether it was just whether it was, it was while you were at the entourage and we never spoke ever again, whether it's now that we're speaking now and doing these podcasts and these interview series, or whether it's you know we do something in the future together, it's like that's a reason, a season, or a lifetime. So, you know, there's nothing. That's how you should go into every opportunity in every relationship. Mate, absolutely beautifully said. And I, I'm going to share this because th- this is a, an indicator of just how generous you are with your time, mate. Uh, we uh, flew back from the first session of the Entourage uh, and you were sitting in the seat in front of us. And uh, we got off the plane and we were, we were catching a, a cab into the city. Uh, and you said, no, don't worry about that. And you didn't know, you didn't know us from a bar of sight, mate. And you said, uh, don't worry about that. Uh, I've got a car here. Just jump in the back with me. Yeah. And uh, you dropped us off there at the um, at the uh, height at the time. Yeah. Uh, and it was I said to Sonia then this guy's just uh, uh, amazingly generous given that he doesn't really know us uh, and yet he he's gone out of his way to to help us out. He didn't need didn't need to do any of that. Yeah. And uh, I, I you know I, that's a very rare quality, mate. And uh, I can see how. Now that you say that, in terms of elevating those around you and, and putting energy into helping others, how it's helped uh, all the way through your career. Because as a as a relationship builder, there's there's no one better than you, mate. You just have this amazing ability to, uh, and you make people feel good about themselves. And and your ability to inspire and motivate is uh, absolutely exceptional. I used to love your closing sessions on every day there at the Entourage, where you know it was living the effing dream and yeah. uh, jumping up on the chairs and uh, doing the, the high fives and whatnot, mate, uh, you, you felt a million bucks every time you got on. St- uh, you do have an absolutely amazing ability in that regard, but, but tell me uh, celebrity, mate. I mean, uh, uh, everyone 
both admire celebrities, but but to some degree, given the tall poppy syndrome that exists in Australia to a degree, also despises them for the same reason. Yeah. And and sometimes builds them up so they can then knock them down. And the media is very good at that. How have you found celebrity in terms of the pros and cons, mate? Is it... Uh, do you find it challenging or is it, is it made uh, a massive well, difference to your world? Yeah, well, look, my dad gave me some good advice um, when I won. He said, make the most of it, make hay while the sun shines, right? Because you, you don't know how long things are going to last for. And then I got some good advice, ironically, from Eddie Maguire. So I'm sure most, most Australians know who Eddie Maguire is. Yeah. Um, he did a great job last night with an expose on the great man, Bert Newton. And he did. Uh, he's also a simple boy from Brody. So like I'm a Mooney Ponds boy. We're on the same train line here. So, uh, and and when I was doing some stuff with Channel 9, he, he said to me, he goes, what do you want to, what do you want to do off the back of all this? So there was another beautiful article they put in the Herald Sun where um, I, he and I uh, hosted a, a Channel 9 event. And he, um, it said the master and the apprentice, because like, Two simple boys from Broadie Mooney Ponds Way, and and he and and he goes, what do you what do you want to do? And I said, well, look, I, I said, look, my passion is in business, you know, like that's where I, my passion is. And he goes, well, look, let me give you some advice. He goes, the, the problem with, um, uh, you know, wanting to be a celebrity, let's call it, or, or and that he goes, he goes, to be honest, most of them don't make any money, and he's right, they don't. Like he goes, like the average person who's at a at a, a free to air television network is on about a hundred grand a year, which is not bad money, but it. It's not going to get you very far no. in, the, in, the, in the long term, right? Like a hundred grand. And the problem is when you're living that lifestyle, a hundred grand doesn't get you very far because you're yeah. also living the lifestyle. Like, you know, you're out every yeah. night, you're doing things and like you, you, you need money to maintain that. Lifestyle. Yeah. So like, it's like, he goes to me, then if you're passionate about business, then leverage your, you know, exposure that you've had, like you didn't call, call it celebrity you know, being a celebrity, he goes, you, you've got exposure right now, right? Like you're all up on stage here with me. My dad said the same thing. Like you, you got exposure. You're doing little um, segments on on the block and on 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 the property shows and on Channel Nine and the Breakfast Show and all that sort of jazz. You're 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 speaking at conferences in front of a thousand, two thousand, three thousand people. He goes, just leverage that, like you know, and leverage it into, into business. Which hence that's where a lot of the stuff that Jack and I did at the Entourage. So like we leveraged. Um, that exposure I was getting at the beginning to, to grow entourage to where it is today. Uh, yep. We leveraged it at Yellow Brick Road. And, you know, I bought into Yellow Brick Road at a, at a much discounted um, rate uh, than, than like pre-IPO. Uh, I leveraged it into a speaking career, which was very lucrative up until COVID happened, um, which sort of put a hold to But I'm getting bookings again now. Like I've already had a couple of inquiries from Singapore and LA and so forth. So I'll, I'll get back into... Uh, on the rounds doing that. And he said, look, that, that's the reality. So like, and the other thing as well is that there is an actual syndrome now, and this is a real thing that is that has been um, brought out by a psychologist, a group of psychologists in the US, where it's like a, a, a basically people go into these depressions because when they do, when they're on reality TV shows, they're nobody then they, it, it's literally 15 minutes of fame till the next season comes out, right? Yeah, almost yeah. 15 seconds now, mate. Correct, it's, correct. Yeah, and, then, and then you're nobody, so you're, you're nobody, then you're everybody, everybody knows you, then you're nobody. So, like, you know, very, very quickly, I sought great advice around, you know, um, putting some things in place where, you know, I could leverage it and, and be known as a businessman and an entrepreneur and a philanthropist and be famous for that rather than be famous for the guy who won The Apprentice. Right. Yeah. So yeah, the apprentice was a great platform. And I say to anyone, if you ever do get the opportunity to have a platform in some way, shape, or form, um, make sure you stay humble. And and the other thing is as well, like for me, I never felt like a celebrity because at that point, Bushy, like I was 24, I was already servicing a couple of million dollars in debt. Right. Yeah. Like I bought all these all these properties. So like for me, it was like do I go get caught up in, you know, caviar and cocaine as a joke? You know, I'm, that was a surprise, but, but like, you know, do you go get caught up in this celebrity life that a lot of these people want to have? And that's what they want to do. They're chasing the, the party or the launch and they go to an opening of an envelope. Or do you get strategic <laughs> about it and go, okay, I've got this, I've got this window of opportunity right now. I'm going to go buy more real estate. I'm going to go use it and leverage it on the, you know, whatever, do a couple of hundred grand a year or 300 grand a year in speaking fees, go open a few businesses, invest in me. So I was very lucky to get some, you know, extra little shares in, in things because I, you know, people were leveraging, you know, my, my, my brand or my, my connections. And like, I'm like, well, that's what I did. 
And like now, it's like, you know, I, I wouldn't say, I would say I'm infamous, not famous, which is great because I means I, I do get the luxury of being able to enjoy my life still. Um, I, I do get the little perks, yeah, still when I, like I'm a VRC member and I've got a ticket, two tickets waiting for me for the Melbourne Cup tomorrow. I don't think I'm going, but I still have two tickets waiting for me. And uh, I do get, you know, the last Grand Prix, I helicoptered into the pit lane. So I still get a lot of the little perks here and there, but I don't have a responsibility to try and uphold some image um, yep. Because now what I've done is I've, I've basically leveraged it, um, the exposure, rather than the, the you know, the infamy, I've ex- leveraged the exposure. And I've always done the right thing too. Like one of the other reasons why they, they actually don't say who wins straight off the bat is because they are, they are expecting somebody to F up. That's what they are doing. So what happened is they filmed me winning and Heather winning. And often, like, somebody does get caught doing something stupid while they're on yeah. television, right? So, like, yeah. you're on television. We read about it with these, uh, you know, the, the, all of these little reality TV stars now that get caught at some party. And now we live in the world of, of Snapchat and Instagram and, and you know, like, silly, silly stuff. that they, they like, even, you know, these Melbourne Storm players that, that got, you know, caught you know, after they lost the semi-final and they, they're in a hotel room getting... Now, I'm the first person to say, yep, you know, you've you've trained 300 days of the year or 325 days of the last 12 months. You got to the semi-finals, you've lost. You deserve nothing more than to have a bit of fun with, with the boys. But there's no reason why you've got to be stupid and put it, you know, people taking photos and stuff like that. I'm like, you know, how stupid can you be? You're on half a million yep. dollars each. Show some restraint and some decorum. And uh, yeah. that was probably good mentorship from Mark. Like Mark Boris, you know, he, he said to me, like, you know, he goes, don't let things get to your head because he goes, one stupid mistake, we can throw it all away. And he goes, the other thing you've got going for you is, is people trust you. He goes, you, you're likable. You're, a, you know, and I always make the joke, I'm the simple boy from Mooney Ponds trying to get ahead in life. But he goes, it's how you are perceived. And yeah. a lot of people can identify with you and it would break a lot of people's hearts if you couldn't, couldn't show some restraint and use that for something good. And hence I did use it for good. And, you know, worked with the two orphanages in Cambodia and did the Kokoda Trail and raced, you know, nearly half a million bucks in total there and sitting on a few boards and 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 so forth. And I've used it for good. So like I say to people, that's that that is the trick. But but I am certainly won't say no to a, to a little bit of fun here and there. And I and I do appreciate still being looked after and so forth. You know, like I'm I'm heading to dinner at Crown Casinos finally opened again in, in Melbourne. And so I'm heading to a nice private dinner at the Cocos tonight, which is their private teppanyaki place upstairs. And, and nice. Uh, Beautiful. Yeah. So, like, I, I still invite, enjoy getting invited back to a few little VIP dinners and stuff like that. But it's 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 smarter if you do... The, the moral of the story is, is, is if you do get that exposure, stay humble, stay grounded, remember where you come from, and, and always remember who helped you get there as well, you know? Like, if people were there in, in the early days, like Adrian Butera, my first mentor in real estate and auctioneering i i ended up doing the kokoda trail with him i catch up with him often we check in with each other every few months and you know so i i don't forget that he was also a really important part of my life and, and helped me get to where i've got him to get a summary of all this investment gold in the show notes just email me on hello at khgroup.com.au it's h-e-l-l-o at khgroup.com.au or check us out at www.bushymartin.com.au forward slash get invested. I look forward to joining you next week for another episode of the Get Invested podcast. So thanks for listening. And as always, dream as if you'll live forever and live as if you'll die 